Today on the show, we give it up to the Pokemon that wouldn't be here without us. RCSB damned. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. I'm Bruce, and we have a special guest with us here today at our Pokemon Lore Party episode, Lucas from Pokescience. Hey guys, how's it going? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love this sort of stuff. I love coming in and talking about one of the only two things I could say I know a lot about. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> looked at you guys and I was just like trying to figure out I like we could like be able to find someone and I found like you know top Pokemon podcasts and you know you guys really know your stuff it's really cool thank you thank Wait, you no the story you told the story you told me <laughs> is that we left the door open and they just wandered in I'm just... <laughs> whoa 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 I, I will have you know we do not wander in sir we break in violently and take the spotlight. That's how we roll. Two of us are Floridian. <laughs> oh, we got some Florida boys. Fair enough. But speaking of uh, things that have a tendency to break in and take the spotlight, today we're talking about the relationship between uh, humans and Pokemon, um, specifically the more uh, indirect elements of it. Yeah, we talked about Pokemon uh, being created by humanity before by more deliberate means, i.e. like Porygon or Mewtwo, whether it be mad scientists or what have you. But this time, I kind of wanted to see if we could talk about just Pokemon that we did create or at least influence, but not really by our own uh, decision-making or planning. It was, it just kind of happened. There are quite a few. Yeah, there, there, like you guys said, there are quite a few Pokemon that were made by people. Sometimes there are Pokemon like Golurk who were made in ancient times and just stick around. And others, like you said, there's just some genetic abominations. Also, shout out to Genesect as one of those like genetic abominations. I know Mewtwo gets the spotlight a lot, but that mm -hmm. horrifying Terminator bug. I feel deserves a little bit more love. Yeah, I mean, especially for what it's been put through. Oh my goodness, yes. No, like, hey, I've been brought <laughs> back to life. Am I going to go on an adventure with a 10-year-old? Mm, no. <laughs> yeah, we're going to break it down kind of between indirect activity like pollution, urbanization, then direct uh, kind of human intervention that didn't expect something to happen, like relocation. And then we'll talk about, you know, just maybe kind of legends and um, stuff that kind of is ghosts, ghosts, pretty much ghosts. We're going to be talking about ghosts. Ah, it's in damn. the Pokedex, but you know, you don't know if it's like real or not. Yeah. There's the, mm. every time we do an episode of Poke Science, we're like, okay, how do we explain the ghosts? <laughs> like, how do we, how do we science this? How do we science the undead? <laughs> That, de that definitely does uh, segue us a little bit nicely into, I guess, the um, next shout out part of this. Absolutely. Which, uh, like, happy to have you here um, talking about, like, all the, you know, different ways you guys struggle to figure out how to address ghosts. So what is it you guys talk about? Yeah, tell us about Science. So yeah. for over four years now, uh, me and some friends of mine, Madison, Chris and Don, 
we've worked together to try and take the science from the Pokemon games and try and connect it to real life. Um, it didn't always start that way. It was me and my friend Matt at the time. And then things changed and adapted and grew. Uh, it basically started with me trying to think of like ways to try and express my love of science. I always found that Pokemon was what got me into nature and what got me into sciences. And when I got into the science field, that was very different from everybody else. Everyone else like, oh, I was born and raised with the woods and the creatures or I was raised on a boat with dolphins. And it's it's interesting that these games have produced so much real world science into them. And yet most people take it for granted. And they put a lot of work into these games to connect them to real world cultures and ideas. And uh, we want to try and express that. We want to try and talk about it. And over time, we've talked about so many different topics. We've talked about different cultures that have been put into the game, the different animals, the different plants. We've even got the chance to interview people who are volcanologists. We've talked to people who work for the National Weather Service. We've talked to multiple PhD students and scientists about their topic to try and get them to give us their thoughts on this and give us a real world context. My goal and our goal together is to try and get people to appreciate the world around us a little bit more through these games. If if someone looks at an animal differently after seeing a Pokemon, then we did our I don't want to call it a job, our hobby. We did our we did our hobby correctly. Wow, that is a very fascinating way to explain that. I love that. And you said everyone on the show has some sort of like scientific background. Not always like to the hard sciences. Like we do have Madison, who is a great with social scientists and cultures. She loves looking up things like yokai and things like that. The Japanese mythology. She's really good at it. Uh, Don being just a man who's worked a lot of his life in wildlife management. He's worked outdoors. He he loves hunting and fishing a lot. So he brings in expertise that most scientists don't normally bring in because I'll be honest, most scientists I've met aren't hunters. They're nerds. But Don is both. And it's really cool to have him. <laughs> Uh, Chris handles a lot of our editing stuff these days. He's great with uh, video and audio, but he also works closer to agriculture. So he knows a lot of people who can help with everything from farming and plant life. And he's also a whiz when it comes to history. For some, We didn't know this when we had him on. He just has a lot of random history on him. And it's really, really useful. Oh, dude, I love history. So we will get along great. And, I, and I'm just the animal bio guy. I got my degree in integrated animal biology from the University of South Florida worked at zoos and aquariums. Currently, I'm teaching in Japan, but I'll be ending that teaching period in March, and I'll be back to working at aquariums again sometime around April. So you were highly qualified for this. I mean, I want to know, we've met, we've interviewed some highly qualified people. When you meet and work with someone who's a master's degree paleontologist who has their own podcast, it's like, um... Yeah, you know, we're just our little Pokemon buddies. We, we we try and focus more on just trying to get as many people to listen to us, not so much for like fame and glory, but just because we want people to appreciate the science that's put into this game. We all love these games and we all want people to appreciate just how much work and time went into actually getting all this stuff. And like I said before, nature has some pretty cool stuff in it. And it's always very fun to see when Pokemon has like done worse, like the Pokemon equivalent has done worse than the real world equivalent. I love that. It's the best. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if uh, people want to check you guys out, um, if they're like if they're like halfway into this podcast and they decide they'd rather be listening to that, you know, with the fear of giving them ideas, uh, 
What would they like to listen? Where can they find you after they finish this episode? Yes, yes. Afterwards, not dipping right here at the, the, the seven, <laughs> eight minute mark. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, you, we are Poke Science on Twitter. We are at Pokemon Science. You can find us there. We are on every major podcast platform. So you can just type in Poke Science and you will typically find us pretty darn quickly. Uh, like you guys said, we do have we're, we're pretty we're not like the top like, oh, my gosh, they are the Pokemon content uh, podcast. And we're fine with that. But we really appreciate that so many people have liked us and followed us that we are somewhere in like whenever someone puts up a Pokemon podcast, we're somewhere in the 10. And that that feels good when you start. You don't know how good it's going to be. And then when you're like in a niche community and then even more niche with talking about sciences instead of like the battle mechanics or any of that, it, it, it's really nice. Uh, we, we cannot thank our listeners enough for coming and listening. We hope that after you guys are done listening to me, Gab, you guys will uh, you'll come over, check some of our weird stuff out. I mean, with that, we love hearing from our listeners too. So if you have any other thoughts on the, the science or lore or just general Pokemon things um, we're talking about today, you can always email us at uh, lorepartypodcast at gmail.com. And we also stream weekly on Twitch now. So uh, be sure to follow us at uh, twitch.tv slash lore underscore party. Awesome. So first, let's just kind of talk about why we even want to talk about this in the first place. And it really comes to kind of that saying of if you really want to see someone's intentions, don't listen to them, watch their actions. Uh, That kind of came from me kind of putting this research and script together about Pokemon influenced by humanity and just wanting to know like, okay, there's Mewtwo and Genesect and Porygon where we're like actually putting an effort into creating Pokemon. But what are the Pokemon that we have created accidentally just by our activity, by our intentions and seeing how that kind of reflects in what humanity's like true essence is. And, you know, the answer may surprise you whether or not you have a specific opinion on humanity, especially in the Pokemon universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, humanity and Pokemon's relationship status on Facebook is. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, quite, like, I think when it comes to my favorite, it's complicated when it comes to Pokemon comes from one of the Pokemon movies, the one with Lucario, where literally the first two minutes or three minutes of it is just literally a war. Like a literally, war. like a yeah. huge medieval war, armored Tyranitar. And, and like, like Houndoom crazy. hunting down his scouts. It's like, where's that game? I love Legends, <sighs> but where's that game? <laughs> It's come. It's got to come. I want to fight them. I, oh, no. You you knocked out the... No, they ain't fainted. They dead. No mercy from the Lucas Empire. <laughs> Expansionism. Like, with, with all of that civilization and, I guess, all of that war and all of that... Because, uh, what is it? The one way or another, uh, the Pokemon world has humans in it, but it also has a lot of humans in it. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, with that, that segues into we have Pokemon that would never have even existed without the thing that humanity always keeps creating, and that's waste. Good old pollution. The gooey, mm-hmm. the goopy stuff. Exactly. It's been with us every single iteration uh, and from the first generation, and, I mean, it's been with actual humanity. We create waste, uh, industrial it's- waste, 
regular waste, the goopy stuff, as you said. <laughs> it is also fascinating from historical sense. A lot of people think like, oh, pollution started in the 1800s with the Industrial Revolution. Not nah, pollution has been a thing since humanity was in groups. Like one of the greatest ways of looking up Native American cultures and native cultures around the world is finding their piles of trash. Like they literally just made piles of trash and they got buried over time. Now, obviously, broken spearheads and clamshells is not the same as burying radioactive waste. But it's still interesting <laughs> that pollution and throwing away our crap is kind of just as human as, you know, eating and sleeping. It's, it's really cool. It is like, I mean, either way, I feel like um, something would come out of that in the Pokemon universe, such as oh, yeah. Primer and Muck. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're literal like globs of toxic waste. And, you know, if they're to whatever degree uh, their Pokedex entries are assumed to be literal, they uh, feed almost exclusively on human waste. So especially things like um, industrial waste from uh, factories. Also, in my research, I found multiple Pokedex entries. It's both kind of an either or and both kind of thing. First, it says about their like origin is that the sludge from like a factory was transformed when exposed to x-rays from the moon. But then it also says that they emerged from the sludge that just settled on a polluted seabed and like a chemical reaction animated it into life. But then there's another Pokedex entry that kind of combines them. It says, quote, it was born when sludge in a dirty stream was exposed to the moon's x-rays, which sounds incredibly like pulp fiction, comic book era, crazy gamma radiation origins. Okay, but now I want to know what the Pokemon on the moon are doing that there's x-rays. Oh, that would be the Clefables and the Clefairies. They're up to something. They're always up to something. Like, again, it, there's, it's such a weird thing, and you're right. It stems from the old Pulp Fiction days of like when monsters could be mated by just a, a simple thing and radiation thrown at it. But I think it is um, it's fun. It's fun to think that they had this little Pulp yeah. Fiction -y idea. And again, this was a generation one Pokemon. Their Pokedex entries are vast and weird. You tend to just very weird. ignore <laughs> some of the weird stuff and focus on the good stuff like the. Uh, Produced from a polluted seabed. That's let's focus on that. Forget the X-rays. Stop thinking about it. Stop thinking about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, there was there, maybe there was just something down at the sea floor that Under really, the sea. you know, did that. Oh God, <laughs> but I mean, whatever it was that happened, though, it's happened a few times. Because then on top of that, we also have a uh, Trubbish and uh, Garboder. Um, Garbador. Yeah, I was never sure what the accented syllable on that. Oh no, is. you're fine. And, and the, like these are literal, like a talking, walking trash bag with eyes, and then a mini landfill that is its own organism um, that were in the Unova region, I believe. Um, and like literally is just the other counterpart to Grimer and Muck. Instead of it being just a bunch of goo, it's just all the crap we throw away. Like you said, like the other kind of waste that humans produce. I kind of want to see what an ancient version of these would look like. Like if you oh, found shit. a native... Broken arrowheads and yeah, like just leather straps. Like, Hi. <laughs> yeah, no, y'all thought it was just you who was dirty. Nah, your ancestors were dirty too. And they're just literally <laughs> crawling around. <laughs> it's like a... Po it's, it's not even poisonous because there's no real harm or waste in it. It's just like a rock type. 
it that's just solidified over time. It's got fossils and stuff thrown inside of it. It's, sh- it's, it's got to be sharper. Oh, yeah. No, I probably I would give it something like iron barb as an ability just where you touch it and you get cut up by it. Like it's just totally. broken pieces of sharp objects. And I think that would be really cool. I don't know. But like, I mean, one way or another, whatever the story with it is, it like it establishes this idea that creating Pokemon isn't a thing that humans are just doing when we're intentionally seeking it out to do it. Because like we've talked in the past about and the games have outright addressed the consequences and um, ethics of humans outright creating um, artificial Pokemon. But these kind of accidental Pokemon are this other thing that is clearly shown to establish in the universe and is fascinating, but we don't see as much direct conversation on it. Yeah, I mean, like, even the fact that this is happening through pollution, like, is there a Pokemon EPA that goes out and says, hey, uh, what is all this chemicals? There is something that literally created life through our trash, through our pollution, one, can we get on that? Two, can you stop it? <laughs> and when does it turn from a like environmental disaster into an explosion of life? And like it's protected under the wildlife service. Mm, exactly. Like, do you guys want a uh, electric poison Pikachu variant? Because this is how you get an electric poison Pikachu variant. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we've debated and talked about a lot of like what social services are around. Like even our earliest episode, we talked about the economics and the social services that have to be available for the Pokemon world to uh, exist. And we've also talked about the various monopolies that exist in the Pokemon world and all that, how that would work out. And it's it's a very interesting society that we've thought way more about than the creator certainly would have. But it's... um, (laughs) It's important to think about it like from that standpoint, like, okay, they are definitely dumping something in there, but no one seems to be doing anything about it. Or it was already stopped. Like all the grimers and the mucks and the trubbishes have finished being made because they fixed the problem. But now like they're still out there. So at some point they were able, I think that there is some like government oversight. And again, each region has their own way of doing things, their own government, their own little system. But I I think at some point they realized, okay, the garbage is alive. Let's get the council (laughs) together. Let's figure this out. Oh, wouldn't that be the most fun headline to read (laughs) in the newspaper? Just you wake up, you just like turn on the TV and they're just like, this just in trash actually lives. It breathes. It thinks it's a real thing now. So we're kind of we're going to segue to like imported Pokemon. So like this is like Pokemon that literally could have been fine by themselves, if not for the fact that we literally pick them up and move them. Uh, and this mm-hmm. does actually have some real world variant, like real world uh, examples, uh, as I'm sure Lucas can be able to tell us about. Oh, yes. If you so being from Florida, one of the things that people don't think about it is it is I think it's number one or number two in the states with the most invasive plants and animal species. I think we're next to Michigan on that regard uh, with invasive species. A lot of people think of things like pythons and rats, and those are definitely the ones that Florida is most famous for. But also things like, uh, you know, when you go to the pet shop and you get an aquarium full of fish and then all the fish die because it was your first time. You don't know any better. And so you you try and get rid of it. Like you flush the fish down and you just throw the plants into a lake like that. That's actually caused a whole bunch of problems. Like people have been treating 
the plan of the round does is like a dumping ground for our pets and it's caused a lot of issues every time someone says hey it's so cold the iguanas are falling off the trees in miami ha huh? i'm like good they're an invasive species catch them eat them turn them to jerky they're they're delicious but iguanas are an invasive species to florida surprise most people don't they assume that they're here no iguanas are not from florida that is really cool uh, and so with the actual Pokemon universe, uh, we actually are getting back to uh, Grimer and Muck in the Alolan versions of them, which were brought in to the Alola region, which is just a tropical island region where they were just kind of tasked with just getting rid of the uh, pollution and it completely changed them. Yeah, I don't know what kind of goo they were making. Like, uh, that's, some, that's some special goo right there. <laughs> It's definitely interesting because this is this is something that like like you had said has this real world precedent and is like um being seen directly in the Pokemon world. Um and so due to efforts to clean up the environment, you just straight up have the like a Pokemon just naturally changes its entire form and its type. Yeah, so like the Grimer and Muck are just like kind of variants of purple in their regular uh, or mainland, I guess, regions. But then once they got to Alola, they started eating up the stuff there and just kind of had this technicolor rainbow thing. And then the uh, amount of chemicals that they've like have eaten have hardened. So it looks like they have like fangs or teeth. And then actually the Alolan muck can eat more than just waste and can just kind of eat anything, which is terrifying and like it's just weird it's weird but at the same time like really useful from like a uh, urban planning standpoint of like hey this thing will eat our garbage what does it produce i don't know these hard crystal looking things like no smell no no like chemical trace nah it just hardens our trash into like these crystals that we can make into jewelries or knives or whatnot it's like huh get more goo give it more goo <laughs> But just like an invasive species, like it's definitely it has to get to this kind of weird equilibrium. And we're actually seeing that in some of the Pokedex entries that I saw in Ultra Sun and Moon. It mentions for Grimer, the wastewater coming from factories is clean these days. So Grimer have nothing to eat. They're said to be on the verge of extinction. And you have to think about that for a minute because literally clean the earth, make sure that your environment is cleaner less pollution is literally now an environmental risk of an of an invasive species and like where where do you stand with that there are some that like apparently uh, some pokemon conservationists have created things called sludge ponds where they kind of get to be in a preserve there but like that's pretty much it okay so to go back to pythons um so pythons in florida <laughs> Huge invasive problem. Like they are killing a whole bunch of organisms. They kill tons of small mammals. What do you think their status is as like a species around the world? Do you think they're like a least concerned, a vulnerable? What do you think? I don't know. I, I feel like they would be, people would want to know where they are because people are naturally afraid of snakes. So I would say like not endangered, but just on, on the list somewhere. They are just about endangered. As a species in their really? natural habitat, pythons are considered vulnerable or near threatened. And they're, they're getting lower because in their native homeland, they are hunted for their meat and for their skin. So in Florida, they're an invasive pest problem that need to be wiped out. 
in their homeland. They are a species that is currently being wiped out and needs to stop. It's one of those balances we are going to have to come to terms with in our own reality. Yes, this is a problem created by people, but at the same time, we could end up extinguishing a species off this planet, another one on our list. Where do we stand on that? Like if this, if, if the Everglades becomes one of the only places to find these animals, clearly they're destroying everything else. But it's kind of like uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few sort of deal. It's not an easy topic to talk about it. Even with Pokemon, it's like, yeah, this puddle of purple goo is like stinking up our cities. But like at the same time, if you walked by one on the street, withering and dying away in the hot sun, you're going to feel bad for it. You're human. You empathize. It, it's it's weird and cool. That is weird. Sad. It's, it's very like, it's just, it puts you on a weird crossroads that, I don't know, like if they had meant to, but they, they did just talk about this very weird thing where, you know, it could be good to get rid of them. But I mean, is that even ethical? It's... The second saddest near extinction Pokedex entry in the game. It, it's not oh. great. Yeah, it's, it's it's the second saddest. Number one is Raichu's. I thought Lapras. <laughs> no. Oh, I was gonna say I thought Lapras was coming back. No, Lapras has got Raichu's is the saddest. Raichu's are going extinct because people don't like them as much as Pikachu's, so no one's evolving their Pikachu's. Are you serious? Look up the decks. People are oh not involved because people don't. Oh, Pikachu's are so great. What about Raichu? Ew, it's fat, long tail, gross, no like, cringe. It's like, oh, but but it's a kangaroo rat. It's beautiful. Wow. People I don't. I love Raichu. I love Raichu. Every... I always love Raichu more than Pikachu. I mean, in Alola, they're fine because they surf and serve pancakes, but everywhere else, it's like, no, <laughs> no, I'd rather keep this adorable little mascot on my shoulder. Raichu's too fat to sit up there. It's like, this is hurtful. But yeah, again, second saddest. <laughs> Grimer to me at the second saddest because at least with Grimer, there's a reason why people don't want it around. With Raichu, it's just human opinion. And that bums me out. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I was just going to say, uh, going off of that, we also have the example of uh, indirect human influence would be kind of the similar situation that led to Alolan, uh, Rattata, and Raticate. Uh, yep. Those two. Yeah, so this is super interesting. And I think definitely, uh, Lucas, you either have heard of this or haven't, but like this really follows the thread of an actual invasive species and like bringing in its natural predator on a tropical island just like this. So they obviously, because rats, Rattata and Raticate, appear on the Alolan region just because they are usually like just on ships and transport vehicles and they just start eating everything on the island and they're just an invasion, an actual invasive species on the region. And then to curb the population, they bring in uh, the Yungus Pokemon family to the island and like they're hoping that it's their natural enemy and they are able to get rid of them but instead it just creates this evolutionary arms race and creates a new form of Rattata and Raticate. We actually talked about this in one of our earliest episodes in episode two literally like four years ago a long time ago because wow. Alola had just come out and that was like our inspiration of like this game is amazing look at these altered forms it, it, it was we loved it but um Honestly, the real story of how this happened, it's dumber than you think. 
So this did happen in Hawaii. Like people, <laughs> the rats came. They brought the um, they brought in the mongoose, and the mongoose is literally one of the most terrifying invasive species to put on any island. So why do you think Rattata became a dark type? Like, what what do you think the reason is? Because <laughs> it's it, it's it's a little bit funnier than you might think. Um. So. I, I don't know. Uh, Caleb, you go first, because I think I did the yeah, research too I think much. The, um, I was going to say, is it a type advantage? It's not as much. Or is it a defensive It's type not advantage? type advantage. It's the fact that in the real world, what happened with these rats and the stupidity of the people who brought the mongooses, the rats were up at night. That's when they hunted. They, they were out at night. The, the mongoose was up during the day. It's a diurnal species, not a nocturnal species. So basically... <laughs> They didn't like they didn't even think about that. They just said, oh, let's just eat whatever rats would find. The rats were hiding during the day and out at night. The mongoose was sleeping during the night and hunting during the day. And so it just hunted more species like just just pure oh concentrated stupidity compounded on more stupidity. It, it's really why science is important. You have to know what you're introducing to any ecosystem. Is it complicated? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. All things in life are if they're worth doing. It's one of the dumbest stories of human ineptitude when it comes to dealing with the species. And I get where they came from. We need to fix our problem. Let's put in something else to try and fix the problem. And it's like, oh, my God. Oh, so many animals went extinct because of that. Yeah. In the Pokemon, at least in uh, how this happened, was that they both were in during the day. But because of the kind of. Uh, natural uh, aggression that the Rattata and Yungus uh, species were, they be the Rattata species became dark type and nocturnal, um, changed their appearance and actually got bigger cheeks so they could hold more food instead of like being curtailed to stop eating food because they were being chased and hunted. It, it is really funny in the game too, in the same patch of grass, if you go in the day, you find Yangoose, and you go at night, you find Alolan Rattata. So is it that little like, ha, huh? ah, huh? you can't get them both at the same time, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, 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 Again, in the game, it's such a good thing. No one cares about just how much effort Pokemon put into Alola. Does it have the best story? No. Are the characters stiff as a board? Yes. But the Pokemon that they put into it make it all worth it. Those little details are just mm, chef's kiss. Mwah, perfect. <laughs> and then you, uh, did you have any other um, imported or like regional Pokemon that were influenced by humanity? You were saying? Yeah, the, the other one that started? was imported, uh, Meowth. Honestly, again, in Alola, it was fattened up and made into a jerk by the people's culture. And that just happens when you get rich. But... It's cool that in Galar, like they actually had Vikings like coming and attacking the Galar region, which is similar to the Vikings that attacked the UK throughout the 700s, throughout the year 1000. Not my Viking history is a bit rusty, but they had. No, it's uh, Saxons, Danes and that stuff. Uh, Thank Nords. you. So on the Viking ships in real life, they actually did have cats to take care of the rat problem. So in the game, they put a Meowth on their boat. The Meowth. Not even because it was dropped off somewhere, just because during the travel, in order to deal with all the salt water hitting its fur, its fur got a lot tougher, a lot harder, and a lot sharper. And that's where you get the Alolan, uh, the, the Galar Meowth, the steel type. And I, I love that idea. It's not even putting it somewhere. It's just stay on this boat for long enough and you will change. 
Which just means that what happens if I just leave a Pokemon anywhere? Does it change? Like, are they that susceptible to change in the environment? Because I just think that's hysterical. Like, all right, I am going to leave this Vanillax over here on this tropical island. And my ice cream is made of fire now. Huh. Weird. Uh, I, maybe that's how maybe that's how a Magnemite became a steel type. Maybe. I mean, just it takes. Yeah. Who knows? Possibly. I, it might. Is it game design? Yes. Could it have some interesting lore? Probably not, but we're still going <laughs> to theorize about it because that's what podcasts are for. Wink. Exactly. Yeah, I think that definitely th- whatever is in the Pokemon DNA, it is highly adaptable. Um, you know, uh, one thing that really uh, kind of hit me about this was that it seems either that it's uh, born into uh, like actual evolution or they just like after a while just metamorphize into whatever new region that is. And like, what was it? The Sinnoh regions, uh, Shellos and Gastrodon species being separated by uh, Mount Cornet. Um, I wonder, like they say it took like, you know, uh, thousands of years for them to be like split from one another and just like change to different forms. But judging from just these different Pokemon from human interaction, who's to say that those weren't like almost instantaneous as soon as they were just over a hill from one another? Shellos were the same color when you left Winley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just. <laughs> I honestly would love to see like an actual timeline of humanity and all of that. I obviously Pokemon not going to give it to us. It's a game men directed towards children, but I think it's really interesting to think of like in our world, it takes hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of years for there to be a truly significant change in an animal and to speciate. It takes dramatic mutation. It takes natural selection. It takes tons of variables and generations. In Pokemon, nah, son, put that cat on a boat. We'll get a steel type at some point. Yeah. Like decades. <laughs> yeah, decades. Most. Like, ah, oh, my father's father had a normal Meowth, and my father had a normal Meowth, and now I have a steel one. Look at here. Don't touch him. He, he, yeah, look at that. <laughs> Don't touch that cat. <laughs> Don't touch that cat. He bites. So, you know, with the pollution Pokemon, we kind of seen that, like, you know, we, through our own hubris, have created these Pokemon that kind of make a very difficult uh, position for us to be in with wildlife and pollution. But with kind of moving different Pokemon and our activity, it kind of almost either is something that we either intentionally do, but don't expect it to become a different version, or we do it to something else and it gets even worse. And I think it's just another example of us trying to control Pokemon in a much more kind of natural sense. And it's still being as messed up as creating a Pokemon through genetic mutation. It's just all the same. We we cannot even fathom what the result will truly be. So um, that brings us to the strangest part of this, which is Pokemon that were not exactly created by humanity, but truly would not be here without literal human souls and whatnot. I think though, while we're while we're contemplating though on where we would be without human souls, <laughs> um, we gotta go check out the window because I'm hearing funny noises. So we'll be back after this uh, ad break. <laughs> All right, no, we're back. It was uh, it was just, it was the, just wind. the wind. Just, yeah, sure. That's what the ghosts want you to think. <laughs> it was just the wind yelling uh, Heathcliff over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so uh, ghost Pokemon are definitely one of the 
I think the most mysterious of origin Pokemon uh, because some like, you know, Ghastly Gengar, uh, Haunter, you can assume that they are Pokemon that just seem ghost-like or are the actual lost souls of Pokemon that have turned into new Pokemon in the afterlife. But either way, there are some with horrifying, horrifying um, implications in their Pokedex entries. Yeah, no, when it comes, uh, especially with Ghastly, it's weird because on one hand, Ghastly can be the theory of miasma or bad air that people thought disease came from. And you could argue, oh, it's not truly a ghost. Hmm. It's thousands upon millions upon billions of tiny little bacteria all floating in the air together to form and correlate this one singular being kind of like a slime mold. Or it's an undead soul that's really ticked off and likes to mess with you. You know, choose one. Either or. We don't mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can go with option B. <laughs> but option A is just, you know, that that little bit of sci-fi. Ooh, ah, so so fascinating. So, but again, Gen 1 Ooh. Pokemon. It ghost. Literally, the name for Haunter in Japanese just literally means ghost. Like, we, we don't need to be complicated about this. <laughs> it's ghost. It's ghosty. Is ghost. <laughs> so um, I the first one that I have here is uh, Yamask uh, from the Unova region. And it is literally just this little black imp kind of Pokemon that floats and just carries a very humanoid face in a shape of a gold mask at the end of its tail. And the Pokedex entry says that that face, uh, sorry, that the Yamask was once human and that the face is the face of that Yamask when it was alive in a past mm, life. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. Let's break this down. Let's <laughs> If that is the case, I am terrified. <laughs> What's the matter <laughs> of dying in the Pokémon universe? I, I I mean there's definitely, again, your mask is based on the idea of the Egyptian pharaohs and their mummification. It turns into a little, literal, living, breathing sarcophagus. But it is an interesting take on what happens when you die in the Pokemon world because there's so many options. There's so many things that could happen to you. If you died a good death, you you don't you still risk being turned into a Pokemon too. It's It's weird. And again, like you said, it's kind of scary because you have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea if you're going to die horribly and like turn into some ghost that feeds off the spite and fear of children. Or if you're just going to, you know, slowly pass on and say say hi to Arceus in the big place up sky. Exactly. Because then you've got because then you even have like not just the ones that are uh, individual, but then you also have the amalgams. You have like a Spiritomb, which is uh, what is it? 108 different souls uh, trapped inside. Um just an old keystone, just a... I'm sorry, I was playing Legends of Arceus. I was playing Legends of Arceus, and this is the creepiest mission they give you in that game. Like, hi, here's this here's this uh, keystone. Collect souls. Like, excuse you? What did you say? <laughs> like, yeah, collect these souls for, a Pokemon. for me. And it's a small child handing you this keystone. Like, here, collect these dark, purple, burning souls for me, won't you? It's like, uh, it, sure. Nothing bad can happen. That is horrifying. I don't want to. I want to throw that kid in the river. I don't want to be near him. The most fascinating thing about this is that the souls in question are not just regular human souls or innocent souls. It is literally implied that these are the 108 souls of sinful people, people who have done terrible things and just 
you know, one of them could be Hitler. Who knows? Or Pokemon Hitler, whatever. <laughs> and you never know. At least at least one of them uh, we know the sins of because they sent me on a fetch quest that took me multiple fucking days. <laughs> 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 See, now I'm not going to. I'm not going to put this together. I don't want Spiritomb anymore. It literally could just have a Nazi in there. You'll never know. Uh, let's see. The guy who worked at a call center for 40 <laughs> years and liked it. The guy who invented white people dreads. Murderer, murderer, murderer. <laughs> Elon Musk, murderer, murderer. <laughs> from, now on, from now on, every time I catch a Spiritomb, um, I'm just going to give it the nickname uh, 4chan or Reddit. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh god and still of all the ghosts that i think humans create on accident uh the worst and the most terrifying is phantom phantom is the scariest uh do, do you oh, know yeah. how phantom is created yes a child gets lost in the woods and literally as they die their soul just becomes a yeah phantom. now consider it this way from a uh, conservationist standpoint if the phantoms are needed for the ecosystem, <laughs> if, we, if, if we need no. the phantoms for the ecosystem, remember what I said, the needs of the many no. outweigh the needs of the few. Send those kids into the forest. We need more trees. <laughs> do they have to like starve to death or can we at least like do a humane like sacrifice thing? Eh, pick your poison. Literally. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'm not. Come on, little Timmy. Take your cyanide <laughs> capsule and run into the woods. Yeah, no, we have to give him the. Ca- it has to be like a like a sleeping pill of slides. Like you just put the. It's. <laughs> Why am I on a podcast talking about killing children? And I brought this up. Oh my god! It's Pokemon, man. It's mine. Uh. No, I, y'all didn't do this. I did this. What's wrong with me? But yeah, no. It. it no, 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 no. If you need to balance it out, Pokemon did. This. <laughs> yes, we'll blame the Nintendo. We'll blame Nintendo. <laughs> But it's uh, they did it. This is their <laughs> game. It really is an interesting idea with the ghost types. Again, back to our very beginning topic. If you're going to balance out these species and they are part of an ecosystem, how, putting them in is not so easy as like putting an egg. OK, with a ditto, it kind of is. But if you're just like trying to put them out there naturally with no ditto, you could end up with villages and towns that are sacrificing people like the old days. You could end up with towns where things like vengeance and spite are like banned like or like if you if someone finds you like having these vengeful ideas or thoughts or someone sees you talking about it you could be kicked out of town because you could be drawing in these spirits you could have towns where it's like one of those um dystopian utopias where it's like oh everything's perfect nobody's sad here nobody's upset here and the second someone's upset like you're gonna bring in the ghost types get them out of here like there's so much that can be done with that Oh, that would make a great story. We gotta throw them into the forest. If Nintendo didn't have a copyright <laughs> hammer the size of a planet, that would make a great story. This went a lot of places. Uh, final thoughts. I guess I'll go first. I, I think this kind of just shows the very deep connection humanity and Pokemon share. It's something that can create more Pokemon uh, near limitless potential, even through indirect actions and activities as long as we congregate in a place or like think that we know better than Arceus there is always going to be new forms new typings and new Pokemon for better or for worse I think that some of the intention is very neutral and very human centered but once these are created we have to look deep into ourselves to figure out 
this is now our responsibility. How are we going to conduct ourselves? Because it's literally, I think this is more an example of us playing God than just creating Mewtwo because it's not just that we created a Pokemon, we created a new Pokemon species. And yeah, and I think definitely kind of bridging off of that with uh, my thoughts is that it is important to note that kind of as we've been talking here, making these, uh, like kind of talking about the possible uh, ethical um, dilemmas and the like moral situations of uh, what humanity did or didn't do with regard to some of these Pokemon, I think it's important to note that none of the above interactions have ever, at least in the games, framed the resulting Pokemon in an antagonistic light. So that's the thing. Even though Grimer and Trubbish literally come from um, trash and are the results of waste, they aren't portrayed as evil Pokemon. They aren't, you know, like, um, what is it, the freaking, uh, what was the name of the villain of Fern Gully? Tim Curry. Tim Curry. We're just going to call him Tim Curry. Yeah. (laughs) Tim Curry Smog. All right, yeah. yeah. So, like, but then on top of that, like, they've also, they also often set aside the moral judgment of a lot of the human actions that lead to these, like, Pokemon reforms. Like, it also isn't necessarily, as much as they don't state ever really that Grimer or Muck are evil, they also don't state that creating waste is necessarily evil. Um, Because, like... At the same time, if anything, it hints that it might be the opposite because it's literally creating uh, species. Um, And, you know, this is something that we've been discussing, like the different uh, implications of that. At But I think kind of this subtle theme of these often unintentional relationships becomes a really interesting parallel, especially with uh, how a lot of the more recent games like uh, Arceus and New Pokemon Snap Um, have really been exploring the relationship of the Pokemon and human worlds in the sense of what either uh, may look like without the other, as well as you have a lot of the, like, like earlier Pokemon games that talk about the intentional relationship between humans and Pokemon, how a Pokemon might directly influence us or how we might directly create a Pokemon. But having these... um, either unintentional um, interactions or these interactions that maybe were initially intentional but just went in such unexpected directions. It just becomes like this really interesting commentary on humanity's relationship with nature, I guess. Hmm. For for me, all of this, all this talk just connects to how difficult it is to do in reality. Like the games and stuff are always fun to talk about, but all this fun and ethical questioning we've had a lot of these ethical questions are brought up today with real world. We have the technology today to wipe out almost any species we want with the snap of a finger. We have the genetic ability, the chemical ability, the physical ability to just wipe out a species if we truly want to. Including but us. Should we? <clears throat> including ourselves. Not that hard. But should we? And when should we? And how should we? And how many should we? That's something that we are dealing with in the real world. And Pokemon gives us a chance to kind of see how difficult that question would be. Like a lot of people like to assume that, oh, it's easy. Just get rid of A or remove B. And they don't see the other domino that get knocked over when you do. I love these conversations because like Pokemon is a medium and it is the most popular and economically viable media we have (laughs) for, look, it's the top 
selling merchandising on the planet of any company. Like it is what it is. But it's important for me to see so many people like looking at it and they're like, huh, that's kind of weird. What if it was like this in our world? And then they'd be like, oh, snap, it actually is like this in our world. Like you said at the very beginning, you didn't know that iguanas were invasive no? because they've been so integrated into a lot of people's lives in this area. Well, the same could be said of the Grimers or the Mucks. They become so integrated into life in these cities, people don't want them to go. It might be bad for the ecosystem, but that human empathy, that human ability to connect with anything from a dog or a cat or a living trash bag is enough to keep them around. We have to argue with that fact of, okay, if we're going to keep them around, is it going to be the best for everyone? And everyone's going to disagree. Everyone's going to make the sludge pool or try and fill the sludge pool with bleach to get rid of them. It's really, really interesting to think about all these these issues and to think this all comes from a game that was invented by a man who liked to catch bugs in his childhood. It all led to this. And I think that's just so much fun to talk about with the Pokemon world. And I think that definitely. And so kind of with that, if, uh, again, for any of uh, our listeners who are, you know, really into the Pokemon stories, which I would assume they were, because um, if they want to hear more about the these uh, stories and these science things, now that they're actually at the end of this episode, where can they uh, find you guys? So we are on every major podcasting network. Um, just look up Poke Science. You'll find us. Uh, if you guys want to talk to us on Twitter, we are at, at Pokemon Science. We're on Facebook under Poke Science. We are always listening. We always want to hear from you guys. We like it when you guys leave us a review. I like it when you guys leave suggestions because we've gotten some of our best episodes from people like going on Apple and like, hey, do an episode on normal types. And we're like, you know what? We're going to do that. And we actually did. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I love getting a chance to hear what you guys think when you guys share us weird stuff or you tell us what you enjoy about us. We love talking about this stuff. And one of our favorite sayings is that we are smarter together. We learn more when we work together. We learn more when we talk and communicate with each other, when we all reach out. Again, it's weird that it took like a Japanese game about animal pit fighting to bring this about. But like, it is what it is. And we love doing what we do. I love coming and talking with you guys. Bruce, Caleb, you've been phenomenal for letting me come on. I've had a lot of fun, especially with talking about the dark stuff. That's just <laughs> yeah, fun to hear people's reaction. Your reaction to the Phantom fun. was priceless. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm like, I'm thinking about that all day. How are they going to react? Oh, no. Like, yes. That's what <laughs> oh, I'm no. here for. Yep. Nightmares, nightmares, nightmares. Shiny, That's like, what I'm here for. Shiny mm. hunting phantom is never going to be the same again. <laughs> yeah, Does no, that, like shiny phantom. Do you send phantom. like an albino what? kid what? into the forest? <laughs> yeah. No, he was just a ginger. He was literally just a ginger. <laughs> like, oh, no, we God. don't. We, like, the ginger kid was sent into the woods. This is what happened to him. Like, oh, God. And Mc with that, Flan you have Mc sent Flanagan, us all. No. And with that, you have sent us all into the keystone to become part of the spirit tomb. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't want to be the guy who chews with his mouth open. No, I don't want to be next to that soul. Please. Lucas, thank you again for uh, just being able to join us on this podcast. It has been a pleasure for your insight and your expertise. With all of that, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. 
because that really helps us grow the show. Be sure to connect with us on uh, Twitch, Instagram, and Twitter at lore underscore party. So thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.